Hello and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. I am Gurdjit Deegan, Creativity and Culture Editor. Coming up in today's episode, we'll hear from Amplify's Jevon Smith, XYZ's Will Mould and Swamp Motel's Ollie Jones about their wins at the Campaign Experience Awards last week. Then, McCann's Reagan Warner will join Jevon to review some of the latest ads. But first, we'll start by discussing some news with Imogen Watson, our work and inspiration editor. Hello, Imogen. Hi. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm well, thank <laughs> you. Uh, so one of the big stories this week is around mm. John Lewis and Adam and Eve DDB mm. winning a court case against uh, children's author Faye Evans, who claimed uh, their 2019 uh, Christmas ad, Excitable Edgar, was drawn mm. from her book. Um, Imogen, you wrote the story. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a bit more? So the author in question, she spent over over three years um, mm. sort of claiming that Excitable Edgar, um, who's a dragon in the Christmas ad, who loves Christmas so much that he can't contain his fiery breath. Um, and she claims it, strike, uh, it bears a striking similarity to a character in her book, uh, Fred the Fire-Breezing Dragon. Now, the book in question that was published in 2017 and the ad came out in 22, two years prior to the ad, um, but the John Lewis team, basically, they have proof that it was a concept that was pitched in 2016. So the judge on Monday, after all of this, it was one of those stories that kept kind of like, you couldn't believe it was getting as far as it could, like, yeah, as it was. It, it was going that, on for a while, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. And I think the thing with John Lewis is, um, and Adam and Eve is they had proof from the very beginning that it was a concept pitched in 2016. So I think the judge in question was quite condemned the author a bit because it said, you know, you've tarnished this creative team's yeah. reputation um, with this constant media campaign that you've been putting out. So she's ordered her. Um, so obviously they found there was no evidence about yeah. the ad. But also the thing that's interesting, she's ordered her to post it on her website. Because um, obviously that's the place where she's been bringing yes, them down yes. and making all these allegations. Yeah. So now she has to go on her website and say it was all false. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. It's hard, isn't it? Um, it is. When you feel that someone else has taken taken you your can see the similarities, work. of course, and 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 the and the thing is as well that yeah, you know, behind the scenes agencies mm. pitch a lot of work. So I'm sure like John Lewis, I mean mm. Adam and Eve will have pitched a load of ideas every yeah. year. They they'll pitch quite quite a few ideas, mm. and then they kind of think like, oh, we'll go with this one this time, and you know perhaps. The Edgar one will be refined. I, I like, don't know if that's true. But. No, no, I think that's how it works. They have like ideas that go mm. over over the years and then they kind of go back to them and bring them yeah. forward. So they've been around. Yeah. Um, and a long-term partnership like that. Yeah, exactly. You know, There's going to be yeah. those. Um, but it is one of those things like, so last year, um, it was after the Coinbase um, Super Bowl ad. Do you remember the QR code that was basically miffing off mm. the um, DVD it was bouncing around on the screen mm. and that came that um, encouraged me to write a story about whether you can own an idea because yeah, that was a good piece you wrote yeah, yeah. It, well it's a really good one to get into because <laughs> I got to talk to a lawyer and I always love that because you have so many questions um, <laughs> but basically what um, the Martin agency which is the um, agency that worked with Coinbase at the time they said that basically they'd pitched this idea to um, Coinbase then Coinbase stole their idea and they didn't pay for it and they didn't give them any credit. Oh, wow. So it's one of those things where you start, you know, people will always fight over whether you can own an idea because obviously art doesn't live in a vacuum. It's really, really difficult to, you know, prove that you've seen something. So with the Adam and Eve one, they were they were able to say, well, we haven't seen this book. There's no evidence of seeing this book. Um, and as the phrase goes, I, good artists copy, great artists steal. So, you know, there's always going to be these sort of contentions going around. 
Um, but as I say, I talked to this lawyer and what he says is he encourages agencies to send a pre-pitch um, letter to say these ideas that we're pitching um, are confidential. Because there's two ways around it. It could be that a creative who's worked and pitched ideas goes to another agency and takes said ideas with them. Yeah. So there's a question mark over, does the person, the client Who you've given it to the, own yeah. that, that idea? Yeah. Or it could be the case where, you know, you give, as in Coinbase, you've given them an idea and they go and take it. So if you haven't had it signed and said yeah. that you knew these were confidential, then they're it's in their own right. It's very naughty though, isn't it? Like it's morally, very naughty. It's, yeah. You should never steal. <laughs> no, you should never steal. You should never indeed. steal. It's very bad. But it, it's really, it's one of those ones where it's just hard to come to a kind of conclusion with it because there's so many different factors that come into play. But basically you can legally own an idea as long as it's really unique. Yeah. Essentially yeah. It is because, yeah, you can sometimes be like, well, you can't invent that. That's already <laughs> around, you know. So, yeah, I felt very bad for Adam and Eve and John Lewis because it did feel a bit unfair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they've uh, won and that, that's through. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so good news for them. Um, let's move on. I'd like to touch on the sad news about Galdem closing, a title by and for women of colour and non-binary mm. people of colour. The magazine had been running for eight years and it said it had it was having difficulties stabilising their position both financially and structurally. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that one? Yeah, Angel? they announced the news on Friday and it was once we were scrolling down Twitter on a Friday and you're like, no. Mm. And I think I'd felt like signs of it because I know a couple of journalists were made redundant oh. um, weeks prior. So it, there was a sort of undercurrent. But it's a, basically on Friday, they cited numerous challenges of running a small mission-driven indie media company. Um, and it seems to have been really struggling over the past three years through a global pandemic, brand budget reductions and economic downturn. Um, and they've, they've tried to reconfigure how it works. But um, obviously, it's just got to the point where there's just not much more they can do. Yeah, it's really sad. And I, I'm a big fan of Live Little. Mm. I interviewed her just to <laughs> throw that in drop there. Drop that in there. Everyone, yeah. everyone go and read yeah. that piece. Um, <laughs> God, I, just pushing all our journalism, aren't we? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I interviewed her um, for 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 campaign um, a few years ago. Um, obviously, she stepped back mm. um, a couple of years ago. I can't mm. remember now um, to do kind of other projects. Yeah. Um, it's, she was so impressive. Mm-hmm. She like, I think that's the thing about the album is like everyone I've like met or know with from it is just really impressive, <laughs> and it's one of those things. And really like, young, you look, uh, and oh, really gosh. young, and really impressive, and you're wow. a, little, a little bit like, God, I need to be better. But like for me, seeing it, it's like I mean, you never like to see like a, a publication go under, especially as a journalist. And you see so other journalists silly. lose their jobs because it's really scary about the fact that like you know how do you? It's not the easiest job to go and get another job. Mm. Like, especially if the current media landscape and everything going the way it has. Um, but the fact that it was it was deeper than that, because I feel like the place that Galdem has in the media landscape is so important. Yes, that's that's the point, isn't it? And yeah. it's like the amount of investigations they've done that have yeah. just really, you know, shone a light on things that no one else has bothered to even dig into. Yeah, and also a bit of stuff that perhaps we wouldn't have thought about. Yeah, 100%. And that they've always just stood really fiercely in solidarity with um, with minority groups. And I saw Rennie Edo Lodge, um, the author behind Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. Mm. She put, because obviously when the news was broken, a lot of people took to Twitter to talk about it. Yeah, And she basically said, 
um, she wrote about um, how before Galdem, the media was very hostile towards young people of colour. Um, and she basically pushed that we shouldn't take quality indie media for granted. And what I thought was the coolest thing that Galdem did was when they, they announced the news, they did another post, um, an article where basically they posted 17 indie UK-based media organisations to support. So... If this is a lesson, wow. we can't yeah. let those ones go. But yes. the fact that they, on their, even the last thing they did, they were still pushing it and, you know, supporting others. So I don't know whether we'll see it come back because at the end of the day, we don't really want it to be bought out. Um, it's the reason it was so good is because it's this mission led indie media company. But yeah, it's a really sad day for a journalism. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you, Imogen. Um, that's all we have time for on news today. Last week, Campaign hosted the Campaign Experience Awards at the Londoner Hotel in Leicester Square. We had more than 400 people join us to celebrate the winners, catch up with each other and enjoy the party. I'm sure our listeners are fully aware of the winners, but as a reminder, Amplify went home with a coveted Creative Experience Agency of the Year, as well as three other trophies with work for Sky, Lego and Pinterest. Swamp Motel won creative event of the year for get the v for prime video the work also won in another category brand experience b2c in the entertainment and leisure section and xyz won three awards for montclair 70 the extraordinary expedition so joining me to uh, talk about these wins are jevin smith chief creative officer at amplify will mold managing director at xyz and Ollie Jones, co-founder and creative director at Swamp Motel. Hello and congrats, everybody. Hi, thank you. Morning. Thank you, hi. Uh, so, Jevin, uh, let, let's kick off with you. How You guys have won Agency of the Year quite a few times. Um, what did this this year's uh, award uh, win mean for you? I think it was, you know, it's lovely to be awarded again, um, firstly. Um, I think it's testament to a lot of the work that continues to be produced in terms of new team members. I think we've seen a lot of change in a really positive way in the agency in terms of bringing the next wave of talent through across strategy, creative, live, all facets of the business. And I think it was just testament to what they've been able to achieve over the last 12 months in terms of that ideation and delivery of the thinking. Um, So for some of us, it was lovely to be back. For others, it was the first time and we wanted to put them on the pedestal and let them experience it. So it's always a great moment in the calendar and I think testament to the great work the team do. And one of your wins was for Sky. Do you want to kind of explain the work a little bit for our listeners? Yeah, sure. So it was actually to launch Sky's uh, first carbon neutral TV, Sky Glass. And in short, it was how could we bring this to consumers in 100 destinations around the country? And we went in with a really bold architectural scheme of what we were going to do and how we really felt we could push the experience design and, and were fortunate enough to win through in the pitch process. And I think what became really clear when we got the other side of the fence and and won it was just detail that had gone into the world's first carbon neutral TV and how we had to create something which could be a genuine reflection of that in the experience and process. So it allowed us to really double down on the sustainable and environmental goals that the brand had and how we wanted to echo that through the experience. So it allowed us to really you know, from the ground up, reimagine the design and deployment of a brand experience roadshow. How could we design for reuse with modularity and kind of ultra efficient assembly in mind? So it's all about dismantling and transportation at the heart. So that challenges certain things in terms of architectural schemes and maybe avenues where we might have been bolder in form, actually, when it's got to be able to be deployed in 100 different locations in 100 different ways, actually, that starts to make you reappraise design altogether. And actually, the principles of the circular economy 
really started to fit into everything we were looking at. So to give you examples of that, that would be, you know, design efficiently with glue laminated timber structure, look at minimal fixtures. How do we look to mechanical fixings rather than glues and resins? So really just trying to minimize materials and every avenue of deployment that we possibly could do. So that goes all the way down to logistics and biofuels and ensuring that non-palm oil is used and and renewable 90% emission-free approaches were endorsed. So from the ground up, you know, this had a strategic and measurement tool associated with it that was baked through Trace. And really, I think it's something we're incredibly proud of in terms of how that whole piece was conceived and ultimately realized. But it just paves the way, I think, for where we want so much of the work to go in terms of that thinking. And what I'm really pleased to say is that it's great to have the win and the work be recognized with the Sky team. Actually, so much of the legacy of that work is already present in the studio. So we have... Um, you know, sustainable design reviews now that go through every stage of the process. So Jenny, who heads that up at Amplify, she's in that creative review process now at its inception to understand whether there are different materials, technologies, approaches that we could be looking at and implementing. So it's a great win and lovely to have it recognized because of the detail and craft that went into it. But actually, the thing that makes me happiest is the legacy that it's left behind at Amplify. So um, as an industry as a whole, how do you think uh, we're doing in terms of sustainability? I think, look, we, we talk about being a work in progress as an agency. And I think on this whole issue, it, that's what we will remain for the next decade plus and beyond. Um, I think it's everyone's responsibility. And I'm, I'm delighted to say I think there's been so many kind of positive conversations, movements for the people that joined Isla and, and you know, really wanting to make that shift and change. Um, for us, we're on our own journey to B Corp, um, which is more than just the environmental side of it. This is about our social impact and, you know, everything that we leave behind and how we and the part we play in that. And I think we're seeing more readiness in terms of clients seeking that, I think, as well, in terms of agencies that are on the front foot. Front foot. This isn't just a badging exercise. This is like the sensibility and an approach to everything that we do. So, yeah, look, it's a, it's a starting point. Could we be doing better? Absolutely. But I, I include Amplify in that as well. Um, but nevertheless, I think there's more of a focus on it. I think we will see that in an increased scale and magnitude over the coming years. So I'm excited for where it takes us next and, and ultimately where the work goes in reflection of that. Thank you. So let's go on to Will. Um, so three trophies for the Montclair work. Um, do you want to tell us uh, a little bit about that one? Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think when you were, you were asked me um, how, why, why we, we, you thought it stood out for the judges, uh, and I think one of the reasons that it really worked is because I think as a brand, they really committed to sort of you know, telling their sort of brand story in a way that was very uh, unapologetically theatrical and experiential. I think you can push boundaries and create amazing impact uh, by bringing people together for a purpose and, and using technology to en- enhance the live experience instead of replacing it. And I think that's what they really did there. And then they came to London as a brand with a, a big statement experience and people sort of um, came out and supported it. Because um, they're, they're very clever at using all the different channels to get behind their brand experiences to um, to augment them and, and magnify them. Um, and I think that's what they really did. And then obviously they followed that up um, earlier this year with um, during Fashion Week as well. Yeah, so that 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 Fashion Week um, event was like absolutely massive. Will yeah, it was a, it was um, I think it was on a different scale for everyone that was involved in it. To be honest, um, so it was it was a bit of a a bit of a, a mind blower for for everyone involved. Um, but great to be just a small part of it, as we were um, working with lots of different people. Did you say so this was this one that the Olympia Kensington Olympia, yeah. and then you had like ten thousand yes. people? Was yeah. that gosh? <laughs> um, and then um, fashion brands, 
they seem to be luxury fashion brands seem to be kind of like do you feel like there's a bit of a change there in terms of how how they're kind of trying to interact with 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 consumers yeah i think i think you can see from from moncler's point of view they're trying to make it a lot more accessible if you looked at the crowd that was at the the latest moncler thing it's very different from what you would see at normal fashion week you know front bench um type crowd um the the age um and the demographic of the crowd was was really eclectic and um they're all creators they're all content creators there rather than you know just media or, or press so to speak um so yeah, it was really really nice the way they're moving actually uh, and it did feel like you know it didn't matter whoever you were on the floor you could turn around and be justin bieber was next to you and you could be you know what i mean it was really really democratic <laughs> from that point of view which is really really rare, rare to see and uh, it was really good great vibe i like your name drop there um <laughs> Uh, Ollie, uh, tell us about the Prime uh, video work that won on Thursday. Yeah, so we were launching um, Series 3 of The Boys um, for Prime Video, which is this kind of like, it's based on the graphic novel, it's like darkly comic, extremely violent, um, was really fun to work on. And the challenge was bring the on-screen world to life, which is, we're like, our entire creative team is from a theatrical background originally, so this kind of stuff is so up our street you know like an amazing exercise in taking an ip and working on the narrative the world building the design the audience flow and all that kind of thing so we built this um 45 minute experience for 2000 live participants to come through where they were experiencing a part of the boys world um adjacent to the show and they had their own story and moments through that but what was exciting about it was on one of the days of the run we kind of retooled the entire um, building that we were in and set it up as a shoot for six pairs of international Twitch streamers. So each pair was from a different European country and they came through and they had their own kind of personal two-person journey through the show and they streamed it to their audience um, in their native language with subtitles, translations, all that kind of thing going on, um, which just blew the numbers through the roof which was really cool, especially for us as like live makers. We rarely get, you know, we rarely find out the next day a million people wow. have um, wow. seen firsthand something we've done. So it was it was really exciting. Yeah, and we and right up our street and, you know, very pleasing for all involved, I think. Thank you. I also wanted to talk to you about Swamp. Um, so you set up in 2017, is that right? Yes, yeah. Um, uh, so relatively new in, in, in this industry. Mm-hmm. What Could you tell us a little bit about your... Um, your background and you said you're you, you're from theater and yes yeah me and Clem my co-founder we uh we've been friends since university where we studied theater studies and um after a, a few years after graduating having worked in immersive theater and fringe theater and doing our own thing and working with companies like punch drunk we started to see that like this skill set we developed was actually quite relevant in brand experiences um and we thought we could do this and we could maybe bring some like something new something exciting to these kind of things so we we set up our own company and started pitching for work um and finally got our first job launch opening a a dishoom restaurant um in kensington and and i think like we've just got we just we're kind of a wild card option for people um when they're considering their options we've we've got like this very original school of creative thought and we've built up now and that's complemented with like a solid production team and a really experienced brand and strategy team so we kind of have this like great trident um 
of of forces behind us, which I think makes us quite an an interesting and 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 different option. And it's really it's really lovely to like be recognised at an award ceremony like last week, where our approach is kind of you know delivering results, which at the end of the day is the most important thing. Mm. Um, so let's see if you, if you guys agree. I would have thought that last year felt a bit still a bit of a recovery year um, after the impacts of COVID. Um, what kind of impact did COVID had to have to your businesses? I mean, you guys have done extremely well in the awards that you, you won last last uh, week. But, you know, how, how did COVID really impact um, your business? And how did you recover from that, um, Jevon? The worst of times, the best of times. Um, I wouldn't want to relive it, obviously. There's a lot of pain that everyone experienced. Um, and there were some dark nights definitely within it. But it actually allowed us to, I think, really challenge you know, lots of norms and structures that are in place. All bets were off. And when we're backed into a corner creatively, that's kind of where we perform best in many ways. So to get to break formats and really reimagine reappraise how we start to bring brand stories to life in imaginative and original ways that was amazing and I think we've seen some of our frankly some of our best work break through kind of in that kind of COVID slash post-COVID era and it's helped us to really you know we talk about ourselves now as a creative agency who specialize in experience and culture because whilst brand experience is our heartland where it's where we began actually our work is is completely across the channel mix now and more often than not, I think the most interesting stuff we're making is in the spaces in between. And that's certainly how we kind of think and operate from a strategic and creative level. So, you know, off the back of that, we've, we've actually grown kind of exponentially from a, from a commercial commercial and revenues perspective. But most importantly to me, because we always think about the agency as a portfolio, I just think the work's got better and we're taking it to new and more exciting places. So wouldn't want to go back, but um, creatively, I think it's, it's probably, you know, the spark that we we actually didn't realise we needed. It, it accelerated the trajectory of where we wanted to go. Mm. Um, Ollie, uh, I saw that you guys did a, a virtual experience. I mean, that is obviously how a lot of um, agencies and, and brands kind of engaged users in that time. Um, how did how did you find it? Uh, pivotal for us, to be honest. We we came out of lockdown three times the size in personnel that we went in and. <laughs> financially much better off because we 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 created as you say these online experiences that were purely ticketed um and weren't for a brand we just we kind of self-financed them uh and launched them um and eventually launched three of them over the course of lockdown and they sold in total over a hundred thousand tickets worldwide um and i think it was just like the right antidote at the right time it was we were we were trying to explore like how immersive can you make something online considering that we're all trapped inside. And I think we made something pretty immersive and pretty fun and different. And it's actually shaped a lot of our thinking, a lot of lessons learned, particularly in automation and how you can make a live experience feel more real, um, feel more impactful through using tech and integrating tech. Um, It made us think a lot about kind of digital um, amplification of work. Like suddenly we were being... Our games were being played in like New York and Sydney and Bahrain and all over all over the globe. And um, yeah, ultimately, it kind of financially gave us the boost that we needed, so that we were able to hire more people. And by the time lockdown came came to an end, we were in a much more functional place as a business with like focused teams and experienced people brought in to do jobs that need experience. And it it set us off on a on a well good path so far. Yeah. 
And uh, what what does the future, so 2023, hold hold for you guys? I think we want to um, continue to find new clients, new people to work with, new entertainment IPs, especially. Like that's where we we really thrive. But we're we're always open to any challenge. Um, we want to continue doing the independent work that we do alongside our brand work. So we've got a show open at the moment, and we'll look to do something else within the next 12 months. Um, and continue to like steadily grow and stay true to those values of like theatrical creativity and doing our own thing because we enjoy it and we like to do it and, and backing that up with with results delivering brand work. What about you, Will? A few things. I think um, you know, continuing our sort of work on this, you know, best places to work, which we're really really um, over the moon to 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 get be a part of. So continuing to sort of create a, an amazing workplace. Um, because that's what breeds all the best work. Um, we're going to be celebrating XYZ being 10. Oh, it's your 10th anniversary this year. Yes, yeah, yeah, for this year. So we're going to sort of uh, try and help engage the next generation of uh, experienced designers and makers and get them into the industry. Um, and then um, I think there's a, a big growing volume of work for us outside of the UK, um, particularly in France, uh, over the next 12 months. We've got some really, really big uh, projects coming up there. So um, quite an interesting mix. Mm-hmm. And and uh, Jevin? We've just launched World Building at South by Southwest, which is our new platform. It's kind of the evolution of brand building, um, which landed really, really well. It's really interesting, I think, to be take that temperature check in Austin and see where it sits and how it resonates with an audience. And we're premiering that in a few weeks um, in London with a film that we've made. And then there's a whole collection of different film series coming off it as we've spoken to pioneering world builders around the globe. So it's a really interesting, fascinating platform, I think. Mm-hmm. We've had as much fun making it as we, we're going to have talking about it, I think. So that really, I think, sets up a lot of the thinking of where, where our work's going and the way that we want to bring brand stories to life. So I think that's that's incredibly exciting. And then otherwise, from a from a kind of geographical level, um, our more recent outposts of Paris and LA, uh, some really incredibly exciting work already going on there. And I think we're also looking at how we you know, bring the Amplify flavour to it, but also lean into that cultural nuance that we're going to find in those in those different locations. And that's really exciting. And and certainly, you know, filling a lot of my day job is is looking at how you, you make a network work. So it isn't about dots in a map. Um, I've been there with lots of dots in a map and they don't talk to each other. Um, I'm fascinated by, from an independent point of view, how we can genuinely make the kind of strategic and creative synergy of that network become a superpower. Mm. And so, so you guys all seem very optimistic for the year ahead. Things are obviously growing. Uh, your businesses are growing. And does it, does it feel like, you know, lockdown is kind of totally over and things are really improving in IRL experiences? It's that small thing called the cost of living crisis, which I think has um, reared its head. Um, so on one hand, I think certainly some of the, let's say the after effects from a COVID point of view, maybe on briefs or the work or even the tone and tenor of it, I think I think they've sort of dissipated. But I think what we are starting to see is obviously different considerations in terms of where audiences are at, what matter to them, the pressures and strains they have and how brands are trying to be sensitive to that. So I do think it's in a, um, a sort of a different sort of challenging moment, to be totally honest. I think we are seeing and encouraging you know, a lot more entrepreneurial thinking in the way we're going. I'm finding it really interesting with the conversations I'm having with CMOs at the minute, which is which so much of it more is, is is leaning into like where's the proactive thinking coming from, and actually where's the idea that isn't on on the plan right now that we want to bring to the fore, and that that's something we relish. So on the one hand, it's a challenge I think in terms of where the landscape is moving to, but with that always comes creative opportunity. 
Would you agree, Will? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think we're, we're finding, you know, it's even shorter lead times on stuff because you know, people are changing their minds so often and at such a late stage, even more so um, because of whatever crisis is rearing its head from, from week to week. So, yeah, got to be super adaptable as usual. Uh, we always have been in this industry, but I think even more so uh, these days. I think seeing, I think last year there was that initial rush back to IRL um, events, and I think that may calm a little bit and people hopefully as Jevin was saying, be a bit more considered about what they're doing and not just um, feeling they have to be out there um, and sometimes not, you know, particularly as well thought through as it could be. So I think there'll be a bit more consideration over the next next 12 months, definitely from the brand. The briefest thing is the one legacy, right, from COVID, in that they, they were insanely short. You'd get like a day because yeah. everyone would respond to it and everyone was trying to keep the lights on and all that stuff. But um, it is amazing how the briefs haven't changed in terms of that time, the pinch point. It was always fast. It's always been fast. yeah. yeah. But some of the crazy, like some of the absolute, you know, pedal to the metal stuff. You've got three days. You've got like it just hasn't gone away. That's that's the one legacy I would say from the pandemic, which is still still there, which isn't necessarily a positive. Oh wow, wow, that sounds really tough. Um, okay, thank you so much for your time. Uh, that is all we have time for, um, and we're going to go on to our next section. So on to the final part of this podcast. I'd like to introduce Reagan Warner, the relatively new Executive Creative Director at McCann London. So how's the new job going, Reagan? Um, I keep telling everyone, it feels like coming home. This is my third time back at McCann and it pulls you in. And once you're part of the family, you can't let go. <laughs> um, so thank you uh, for joining us. Uh, Jevin is also here from earlier on. And the two of you are going to review some ads for us. Um, so first up, we have Vanish with Me, My Autism and I by Havas London. So this won Channel 4's seventh annual Diversity in Advertising Award. It follows a girl with autism and what her hoodie means to her. It was created by Holly Isles and directed by Tom Hooper through Smuggler. Let's have a little listen. Mum, have you seen the hoodie? I think your dad watched it yesterday. It's on the banister. Are you sure it's not here? Lily, have you moved my hoodie? Obviously I didn't. I'm going to check your room because... Ash, I told you Ash, do not go in Lily's room. Lily, get yeah, oh, it. In the upstairs. It'll be upstairs. Oh, no, no. Your... no, look, wet towels. And your blazer's on the floor. Mum, Lily! Whoa, 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 wait, enough, look. Don't oh, touch whoa. me, don't touch me. I'm not gonna touch you, I'm just sitting here whilst you calm down, okay? I need my hoodie to go into school. I am not going into school without it, and Lily's taking it. I don't think she has. I don't think she has. <laughs> okay, calm, it's okay, it's okay. Calm yourself down a bit. So Jevin, what did you think of the work? I adore this work, it's brilliant. Um, I think, you know, if, if I'd seen it cold, I, I would have fallen in love with it anyway. But actually, when you get into the story behind it and you understand the craft of what's gone into the making, like, I can't compliment them enough, to be totally honest. I think, you know, the boldness to, I mean, change how the whole thing's cast, wardrobe scripting, uh, PPM, because we just need to make it more authentic to the people that are telling the story. Um, that doesn't happen enough. Um and I think credit to the clients as well. I think I think the team there over at Havas mentioned that you need brave clients standing by you to make great work. And 
yeah, that shines in this piece. I think it's absolutely, uh, it just captivates you. And it's incredibly powerful, of course, in terms of what the subject matter is and the story. But, you know, I speak to my team so much about the craft and the craft just, it radiates through this piece of work. Reagan? I'm going to echo Jevon's um, talk about that. I watched this yesterday, just inadvertently came up on my feed on the tube. And then I was crying and I'm like, oh my gosh, I did not know what I was in for. Um, and I'm an emotionally charged mama bear and I have a daughter. She's not on the spectrum in any way, but she has a Levers hoodie that she like has to wear all the time. And I need to make sure that it's, it's something that's always clean. So it just started like tugging on my heartstrings and the craft is just, it's just a masterpiece of storytelling. It gets you in and, and I did ended up reading about, you know, the backstory and how it was made. And then you just fall in love with it even more. Just, you know, they took time to really tell this story and to make sure that it was authentic. Um, and I think that's, that comes to light in the whole thing. I mean, just bravo. Made me feel and I'll remember it. Thank you. Uh, next, we have British Airways with City Flyer by Uncommon Creative Studio. This is a more lighthearted piece of work and the brand has distorted passport photos and illustrations to show the speediness of using London City Airport. The photography was shot by portrait and fashion photographer Emily Stein. Reagan, what do you think? Well, I actually go into Liverpool Street Station um, every day. Uh, so I saw this and I looked up and it's it's fun. It's silly. It's not taking itself too seriously. I'm not a city flyer. So I'm, I don't really have that kind of, um, that knowledge of that, but, you know, talking about getting into something fast, it's visualized, but there's also some hidden nuggets. If you really look at it, like if you look at that passport along the side, it says, we, and again, I'm the kind of person, if you make me smile, if you make me just stop and stand for a half second looking at something, then you've done your job well. Um, so yeah, I'm game on. Uh, Jevin? I re- I'm going to say, I really love the broader work that I'm coming to doing with BA. I think there's some beautiful work that's come out over the past few months. It's really, really, you know, so thoughtful and, and original in, in many respects. I am a city flyer and I love that. And the thing that always strikes me is how effortless it is. So I don't think the work quite resonated with me in the same way in terms mm-hmm. of actually what I reflect, the, the the efficiency and the unrivaled experience of what City <laughs> is. Um, what do you mean your face doesn't go like... You know, and I think also up. like... it. <laughs> That art direction, I think we've seen, it, it's familiar in terms of other brands that have used it in different ways. I think the way that it's baked into the passport and to the little copy details and stuff, that that's where it starts to move it forward, I think, in an original way. Um, and it's not to criticize it. I think I just probably prefer other work of, of the Uncommon BA relationship that I've seen today. Thank you. Uh, finally, we've got Iceland Air with Easy to Stop, Hard to Leave by Pablo London. The film opens with a boarding call for a man named Oliver who has stopped over in Iceland on his way to New York. He then goes missing because he's enjoying his stopover a little bit too much. The work was created by Dan Watts, Peter Hayes and Gary Lathwell and directed by Sam Hibbert through some such. Let's have a listen. Oliver Wilson, your Icelander flight to Paris is about to depart. Oliver Wilson. Oliver! Oliver! 
So, Jevon, will you be stopping over in Iceland anytime soon? I mean, I could be. It's great, right? Um, the thing, it, it's got a charm and it's fun, this thing. And, and the, the thing that struck me after I watched it was like, how many of those really dry kind of tourism type adverts we get subjected to that's like visit wherever and it's just beauty shots and it's dull and it's absolutely formulaic and I love that they just flip this thing on its head and it had energy and and, and it really brought I think a bit of that that Icelandic kind of rawness into it in, in a really irreverent fun way it felt like a Pablo piece of work I thought it was great. Reagan? It's Funny, because I'm the opposite on this one. Um, okay. Whilst it had whimsy and, you know, it did bring a small smile, I just, I, it didn't resonate with me. Though I do wonder if it's the Icelandic punk that was on it that was just kind of like jarring with me. And I know that's that juxtaposition that they're, you know, trying to create, but maybe I'm just not a punk fan um, when it comes to music. And so the whole time I kind of felt like I was on edge, even though I'm seeing these things. And I mean, Oliver, New York, come on, go, <laughs> like go to New York. I don't, I don't think a tiny little house um, in the middle of the hillside is going to stop you from doing that. And that it's so there's, there's things that I, it's beautiful landscapes and, you know, it's got charm and all that kind of pulls you in. But then I, I guess my BS meter went off a little bit on this one where I'm like, eh. <laughs> Brilliant. That's great today. So uh, that's all we have time for today. So thank you so much, both of you, for your time. Thank you. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about what we have been discussing today, please visit our website, campaignlive.co.uk. Details of our subscriptions are available at campaignlive.co.uk forward slash membership. If you enjoyed this episode of the Campaign Podcast, please follow us and like us and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. A big thank you to Haymarket Studio Manager Nav Pal and also our producer Lindsay Riley from Rethink Audio. And also to you for listening. I hope you will join us next time. On behalf of the campaign team, goodbye. <laughs>